I worked on a lot of those like very early deals where it's like, what's the value of Forrest Gump to the startup called Netflix that just started streaming on one device? Welcome to YMBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. Who you just heard was Malik Ducard, a seasoned industry veteran who has been instrumental in shaping the landscape of technology and storytelling for the past two decades. Currently serving as the chief content officer at Pinterest, Malik is dedicated to evaluating the content experience for users. In this conversation, you'll gain insights into how Malik repeatedly found himself at the forefront of industry transitions and how a passion project during his time at Anderson ultimately led to his first job in the entertainment industry. And, well, the rest is history. Without further ado... Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Malik Ducard, and I am the chief content officer at Pinterest. And you're the first chief content officer Pinterest has ever had, too. I'm the first one, yeah, yeah. So, But it doesn't mean it's the first time that this content <laughs> on the platform content existed before the chief content officer existed. Um, but what it does mean is that like, there, there's always been content on Pinterest. There's always been you know, great creators on, on Pinterest. But what, what we did really about a year and a half ago was really build a bona fide creator, publisher setup uh, on the platform where uh, creators who want to upload directly to Pinterest or or edit or put titles and captions and to, to really like shape their content um, almost like natively and organically on the platform could do that. Amazing. So before we get into your career journey, I want to hone in on your time at Anderson and how it laid the foundation for your future success. How instrumental was Anderson in shaping your personal and professional development? Anderson was really like my pathway, not only into the industry, but into LA. Like I moved like directly from New York here and started school like the month later. And so it opened a lot of doors. And But I think the mo- more important door that it opened, was, and this will sound corny and hokey, but was the door inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> I hear the eye rolls. Um, but like, you know, I, I think that the putting oneself in uncomfortable positions, opportunities, like putting oneself in the crosshairs of learning new things, which may be uncomfortable, is really important. So for me, like my undergrad was film and African American studies. So it was like really, you know, liberal arts and um, I shied away from the quantitative and like that, you know, I didn't see that as like my thing. Um, so at Anderson, I decided, okay, let me like dive, you know, full into the quantitative. And I, I remember taking this statistics course that w- w- was really challenging. Uh, but then I realized something about me that like, I love statistics and like, the Malik that everybody knew before that um, would never have thought that that would be a thing, including Malik. But by putting myself in that uncomfortable position, 
um, it it opened up a whole new avenue, and and then that avenue intertwined with other avenues. And, and but but actually, you know, I want to click into I love statistics like one more bit. Um, I, I remember sitting, so I'm sitting in a classroom right now as as you know we record this and i remember sitting in a classroom like this and there was a professor from a consumer packaged goods company and i I don't remember which one but what i do remember was he was like a guest speaker um he put on the screen this like formula that was like pretty long and he said something like that's how many Cheetos we're going to sell this quarter. <laughs> like, like, and by the way, I don't, maybe not Frito-Lay, maybe not Cheetos, could have been diapers, but it was the concept that like these numbers that had like X equaled the season, Y equaled, you know, the, the you know, inflation, Z. And I was just like, what kind of magic is that mathematical stuff? Like we can quantify human behavior. And, and that led me on this path of like, I got to understand this more. And I remember for about a year and a half in business school, uh, a, a friend and, and, and I, Cliff, Cliff Tibbetts, he, he was my classmate. Um, and, and, you know, we, we partnered up on this thing that we called the model. And the model, we, we weren't even in the class to do it. We were just trying to project box office receipt. Like many people have tried to do this, have done it, but we, we, we wanted to project the weekend's box office movie receipts before the weekend would come. And we had all these you know variables in this model, including like, actor popularity, you know, was it an upslope or downslope, um, seasonality, ad budget that, you know, coming from advertising, because uh, I worked in advertising before I came to, to, to business school, you know, we, we were able to get like, you know, some, some numbers there. And, and then we got to a point where every, I think it was maybe Wednesday or Thursday before the weekend, we had this like website and we would publish the the results. And it was like not within like an outlandish like standard, you know, deviation or we weren't like that off. Um, we all also weren't nailing it every time, but it was just the concept. So anyway, I, I just told a long story. I forgot like my point of it. But oh, my point was that for me, it like, help open my eyes by being uncomfortable, help open my eyes to this whole other area that then I, I didn't see it as so different from where my passions were. I saw it as part of it. And um, that that would be one one thing that I would encourage people to do is to, to find that uncomfortableness. And by the way, you know, Cliff and I eventually, we said, we got to get credit for this. And we, we took a stats class um, and like had the final project on day one. Uh, so we got credit for it. But that project helped me get my first like Hollywood job. Um, because, you know, when I graduated or before I graduated, I actually started interviewing around and, you know, I was just like, yeah, I, I was, you know, one of the two people who did this. And, you know, this, the studio was like, well, come do this here, you know, in different ways. So um, it opened up a lot of doors. Right. And it's so interesting hearing about how you, before business school, you thought just, I'm a creative person. I like TV film, but I'm going to take a creative path to there and then you come to school and it opens up your mind to like the business and analytical side which in Hollywood is a huge part of it 
And then you're able to go get one of these jobs where you merge your two worlds and you get this job. And now you're doing something that you were doing for free. And now at a stu- at a real studio, real job, getting paid real money to do it. That's like yeah, you're that's right. Like a perfect outcome. Yeah, yeah. It it, uh, it it really was. And you know, were it not for this, you know, experience at at, at Anderson, um, it, it wouldn't have happened. Like it was not going to happen. There, there, I mean. Maybe, but I, I don't like to to be able to put myself in that uncomfortable position with the experience of the professors and especially the classmates, and to be able to marinate in all of that together, and to to have that environment for like innovation, and to have that you know space to just like come up with like crazy stuff. That that's like I, I find whenever I can tap into that ethos, like like things go well and, and I've tried to like find that ethos in in you know different you know times in my career and my travels because that's like when you're making stuff. I definitely hear what you're saying. To me that is one of the most amazing parts about getting an MBA, which is the opportunity to tap back into that creative freedom where you have this space to brainstorm, as you said, crazy ideas with fellow students. So now I want to jump into your career trajectory. As I went through your resume in preparation for this conversation, I was blown away. You seem to always be at the forefront of transitions in technology and storytelling. And in order to explore this further, I'd love to pick back up from the brief snapshot we heard in the beginning of the episode regarding your early negotiations with that small startup called Netflix. That time frame coincided with the end of your career at Paramount just as you were about to transition over to YouTube. Let's travel back to that moment. What were you doing at Paramount? When I was at Paramount, I worked in the digital distribution um, area. And this is when digital distribution was like, there wasn't really much of it. It was like really early days. Um, iTunes had just started streaming, uh, or actually not even streaming, like uh, offering downloads, rentals. Um, Sony had just started doing it. So, you know, we, we, we were making these like first ever deals. Like what's the value of this? And, and, and Netflix as well, they were expanding from mail to, to streaming. And anyhow, like architecting some of those first like deals, um, um, it was was very very complicated um, content protection. Like you know, will will these movies be taken? And but to to find the balance point with all these trade offs and all these competing interests, you know, it worked. And one one of the things that um, you you do when when you shape these deals is, is build relationships. And uh, the person who led content for Netflix left Netflix to go to YouTube and uh, gave me a call. And um, I, you know, moved with him over to, to YouTube, you know, a little bit after he got there and um, had, uh, and, 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 you know, it was an incredible journey, 11 years at YouTube from starting from a place where like, nobody was really checking for you. Like, like I, I had trouble getting return calls from, you know, some places like, no, we're really like, you know, getting into this and we're going to grow. And, and by the time I left, 
you know, and and such a great team was built over time. Great people um, w- was really proud to see some of those like non-return calls turned into return calls, turned into starter deals, turned into big, giant, thriving businesses. And I, I think that if there's a moral to story, it's you know stick stick to it and continue to build together. And that together isn't just one company or one party, it's like the collective. Like when you have the perspective that we're all in it together, that it's more of a round table. The round table, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I love hearing all this. I'm fascinated that you had the instinct to leave a company like Paramount for YouTube, which at the time, as you said, was hard to get a return email from. Can you take us further into that decision? I mean, just how early on in YouTube's trajectory was this? This this was like in the early days of YouTube where, you know, people would still think of it as like cats on skateboards. And in fact, like I remember when I was leaving Paramount, uh, like there, there weren't a few people um, who said, wait, we got like Iron Man and Transformers and you're going, where? And I'm like, but that's where the people are. That's where, and maybe it helped that I had kids who like, that's like what they did. Um, but it just seemed like super obvious and I felt super fortunate to, to be able um, to have that opportunity to, to go into a place where it, going back to when I was like a kid, um, cross you know, intersected the, 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 the interests um, between storytelling and technology. It's amazing that you saw the future so clearly. Now, before we get into your backstory and what exactly you mean by that intersection of your two main interests, I want to draw a parallel between when you transitioned to YouTube and your recent transition to Pinterest. Now, Pinterest is a pretty established platform now, but I'm curious, were you drawn there because you saw similar writings on the wall as when you joined YouTube? You're, you're, you're a really great interviewer because you hit at the, the heart of one of the you know really like major reasons why I wanted to move to Pinterest. So had to l- love my time at YouTube, and I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now were not for that experience. And what I saw in in Pinterest uh, was this opportunity to to build on and with a platform that at its foundation is really designed for inspiration and positivity like it's in the algorithms and it's really like inspiring to to you know be in this open content space in the positive corner of the internet and then to the point that you were making um when like I, I didn't know it when I was at YouTube that it would grow into what it did, um, but like you know now I have the benefit of like being able to look back at you know the the time period and realize that you know we I, I see a lot of the patterns of being at the the sort of um, neck or slope of the hockey stick that we we actually learned that we were in in those early days i see that at pinterest i see all the conditions for success i see success like it's like growing um you know the 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 engage there's a there's a there's such a need for a, a positive online experience um and this need like crosses like 
different um, constituents, you know, users, pinners, creators, brands, advertisers, like, you know, brand safety, like, you know, th there's a, a certain like yearning for it. And we see that yearning manifest in engagement and, 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 you know, I don't want to say it's like, everything's perfect, by the way, like it's, it, every, these things are always a work in progress. Um, but, but there's, there's so much similarity in some of the conditions and the patterns, but then it's also they're major differences. And, and three main ones that I see at uh, Pinterest, that, that's just you know, sort of different um, from other platforms in general, like not YouTube specifically, but you know, just platforms out there. One is intent. So when pinners come to the platform, they come with intent. Like they don't come for the most part with sort of a passive posture. They come to do something, build something, make something, bake something. Uh, they don't come to passively watch. So, I think that that like that intent like trickles through everything. Uh, the second thing is what I was talking about before: the positivity. Uh, it 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 is baked into the mathematics of the system. Like I believe that algorithms are choice. Algorithms are taught algorithms are tuned and we teach tune shape our algorithms to honor inspiration and positivity time well spent over time just spent and at every crossroads where the system could make a choice between content x y or z it like if you're searching for something or if it's going to recommend something it it like more often than not, and again, we're not perfect, but more often than not, it will choose um, the the content that will have uh, a, a deeper experience that's not ephemeral, even if ephemeral might mean more time spent on that content or on the platform. And that's like a brave choice um, because like, you know, we, we've seen out in the the interweb let's call it how where things might lead um when other choices are made and when it's just and like I'm, I'm also like a dad of three kids so you know i've i've, I've you know teenage years one's you know now you know nudge over but but i've seen what it could be um and what 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 you know, it often is, and it's not always that, but the, the, there's there's the the downside, and we we really work hard to to keep it positive. And then the third thing is, um, Pinterest is the only like human user curation platform. It's a juggernaut of human curation, and I love that. Like, you know, we're talking about technology, we're a tech platform, and I get to talk about humans. Like humans, humans, humans. Humans are curating um, onto their boards. You know, this pair of shoes goes with this dress, goes with this accessory, or, you know, back to the birthday party example. Like, here are all the things that I'm putting together and designing, or for my home remodel, um, like hundreds of millions. Like, we have six billion boards on the platform. And, and I think that that's like, really profound because th that is not only human user curation that 
you know, people want to come back to and share and all of that. But it's also helpful to understand what goes with what. And, and the, these are kind of like signals, information that allows us to make a better Pinterest and to recommend content that is, is really more useful and, and helpful to, to our users. It's so inspiring hearing you talk about this positivity, because you're right, it's very much needed in the internet space. We have now heard on two separate occasions how you have been led by your instincts to predict the shifting gears in this evolving entertainment landscape. So now let's rewind to your early days, even before your time at Anderson, and explore how you were able to craft this remarkable ability. Sure. So, you know, I'll... I'll rewind the clock to the beginning. Um, you know, I'm from New York originally, from the Bronx, New York, the Boogie Down Bronx. And uh, when I was growing up, I had a lot of interests, but two like loves. And one was storytelling. Like I was always that kid at recess in grade school or you know, earlier who um, would would come to recess with these flip books that I would animate like page by page. And I would have like, a crowd of kids around me, like, and, and it was like the entertainment. I would like voice over the narration, and um, I don't know where I got that idea, but that's like what I did. Um, and I also love technology, and like would always break my mom's stuff, put them back together, wouldn't work. I would always, you know, she'd get me a toy for Christmas, and like, you know, a uh, few days later, you know screws and springs and everything is all over the floor because I want to understand how it worked. And then when, um, I forget how old I was, but um, it must have been like 10 or 11. Uh, yeah, 10 or 11. I, I begged my mom for a Commodore 64. And, and this was like a computer back in the day, one of the early computers where you could program like you turn it on and, and it just had a blinking cursor. Like that's all that it was. And by the way, like my mom, like, you know, public school teacher in the Bronx, like it wasn't easy for her to, to afford it and get it. But like she, she saw that like that could open things up anyway. So she, she saved, she got it from me. And, um, I, I would say it had, it had had an impact on my life. That's probably rippled to, today um spent countless days and hours like coding marrying storytelling with coding like now that i think back to it like i was kind of making like south park type animation where i would voice it over my little sister i would have her voice over characters and um so anyway i had no idea what like silicon valley was or hollywood was like didn't even know those words like and um, but somehow you know because of my mom's investment in me and others you know different organizations and people who who took an interest I was kind of living on that sort of border of Silicon Valley and and Hollywood that's an amazing story I love that you were independently forging these interests of technology and storytelling without much knowledge into the professional industries that comprise them so Malik, this has just been a great conversation and I feel like we could go on for hours, but what advice could you leave us with that will encourage others looking to forge their own paths as you did? I would say like a, a few things. So one, I would say like, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, find, find the discomfort. Like if you find you're comfortable, you got to say, damn, like I got to change it up. You know, 
rest, be comfortable for a little bit, but like don't marinate in comfort. Um, find find the 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 areas that push you to 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 grow. The way the way like sometimes I think about it is like life. You travel with this suitcase, and there's like you know, compartments, you know, there's some stuff in the compartments that you, it's just there, you know, like, you know, it's, it's there from early, but then you gather things along the way and then you take them out to use them, but you have empty compartments. I have empty compartments. We all have more empty compartments than filled compartments. So determining like, okay, like where, what compartments do I want to fill that are empty? And, you know, it's going to be a little painful, um, but it, that pain is actually good stretching. It's like when you stretch a muscle and it feels good. And, and then all, all, over time, it becomes the new norm. So constantly pushing that border. And then the other thing I would say is like, you know, humility, um, you know, really come to things with an, an open mind, an open heart. Um, we're, we're in a time period where I think that technology is, is actually about to revolutionize like society and life in ways that we actually like have never seen before or experienced before in our lifetimes. And um, like that, like no one really knows um, which is a great opportunity. And, you know, I just spoke with you for like, you know, while like, I don't know, like, and, and like, I know just as much as the next person and yeah, I have experiences, but I, I, I think that the, the need to like be open-minded and, and, um, ready for change um, and ready to think about things differently, it's never been more important than than like literally right now. So um, I, I think I think humility is a superpower. Yeah, as you sp- described this, like the pace of innovation just speeds up and speeds up every every year. So it's like having that adaptability is more important than ever. Uh, it, it is in the way that when I wanted to come out to LA, I was coming out for like the Hollywood sign on the hill. Cause that, that, that was like what I thought. That's why, you know, LA, UCLA, Anderson, that, that was synonymous with like storytelling. It would actually be that and other signs. It would be, you know, Silicon Valley. It would be um, visual generative technology that's coming out now. Like there, 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 there's so many like um, other things that that are opening up. So I think that staying open-minded uh, is important. Uh, and and maybe I would add really like staying close to like the core purpose that you you have as you know a, a person on this planet. Stay close to your core purpose. Be humble and open to new ideas. Find the discomfort and build together. Malik has laid out such an amazing roadmap for anyone looking to have a lifelong career in this increasingly innovative world that we live in today. I'm inspired by Malik's conviction to stick to these principles, 
even in the face of uncertainty and even after ridicule from his colleagues. Malik also highlights a crucial yet often overlooked benefit of obtaining an MBA, the room it provides you to nurture innovative thinking. In our fast-paced lives, it's easy to become consumed by the daily grind of tasks and deadlines. However, taking a step back or a pause can be priceless. It provides the space to think beyond the ordinary and consider bold, unconventional ideas. When combined with the principles discussed, the possibilities become endless. So no matter where you are on your journey, remember to take time for big picture thinking and don't be afraid to let your imagination run wild. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay with us this season on YMBA for many great stories to come. And be sure to check out Anderson on social media at UCLA Anderson.